mainly preaching out of chapter 27, but I want to go back and uh, just do a little review in chapter 25 because it's got a real impact on, on, the, on what we're going to read and, and work through in chapter 27. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need a little bit of help. So thankfully, uh, we talked about chapter 25 in the third through fifth grade class last week. So I was going to ask the couple of rising sixth graders. So if you were in fifth grade and now you're going into sixth grade, if you could come up here and uh, I'm going to read a little section. So Adrian, I know you're here. Corby. Bennett. Okay, great. Anybody else? Did I miss anybody? Oh. I didn't know you were here. I thought you were gone. All right, so come on up here, you, you four. All right, so uh, I'm going to read. I want you guys to listen. Remember what we talked about last week, and then I got a couple of questions. Well, that's okay. You can still listen. And, and so I, I got a couple of questions, and we're gonna, you guys are going to help all of these folks remember what was in chapter 25 so that as we read chapter 27 that they've got that context, Okay. All right, so I'm in chapter 25. We're starting in verse 21. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were complete, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So, I'm going to get you guys a mic. I'm going to give this to you. Whoever, there you go. Whoever wants to answer my question, just reach, just reach for the mic. Okay, so first question. This is the easy one. You want to jump in early. Who is Isaac? Corby, went, Corby's, Corby's looking for the mic here. Isaac, it... Yeah, no, you're good. Isaac is the second born, and he... Who's his dad? His dad is... Uh, wait, no. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't Isaac's dad is? Abram. Abram. Abraham, right? Yeah. Right. Okay, so Isaac's dad is Abraham, and do you remember anything else about Isaac? He came... Uh, he came Holding Esau, wait, no, ah. Uh. <laughs> Remember he was the promised child, right? Yeah. Right? 
Good. Okay. All right. Um, so in this little section that I read, there was this prophecy that was given to Rebecca about her pregnancy. What do we learn about her pregnancy? What do we learn about uh, from that prophecy? Adrian, you got you got something you want to say? See, reaching. Go ahead. Uh, the Jacob and Esau were fighting inside her. Right. So two kids, right? So she's having twins, Jacob and Esau, and they're fighting within her. Two nations warring with each other inside of her womb. What else do we learn? What's the, at the end of that prophecy, right? The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. What does that mean, Adrian? Um, Esau sold Jacob his birthright. Right, so later on, we've got the story, later on in chapter 25, we've got the story of Esau selling Jacob his birthright for what? A meal. A meal. Stew, right? Is that what you were going to say? Stew. Stew. Not a very good price. Not a, not a good trade, huh? Okay. Um, uh, how are Jacob and Esau described? Are they like, like the same guy? Just, are they identical twins? They look exactly the same? Go ahead, Bennett. Basically, like, um, like Esau's like the guy that, like, he's like the strong one, you know, mm-hmm. the guy that's just like, oh, yeah, I can hunt. I can do all these things. I am probably worthy of getting this birthright. Yeah, I got this. And then, that, and then there's just that younger brother in the back just like, um, I have stew. I can, I can, I can, I can cook if you want any. <laughs> Yeah, we find out that, that yes. Jacob's kind of a, he's a kind of a trickster, right? A, a deceiver, yeah. right? Very good. Very good. All right, last question. What is the relationship like between Jacob and Esau and their parents, Isaac and Rebekah? Good relationship? Are they all best friends? So Jacob, no, um, Rebekah loved Jacob, and Isaac loved Esau. Yeah. So we've got some some favoritism between the parents mm-hmm. with their kids. Does that, does that seem like a good thing? Nope. No, not, not good at all. So it's kind of a rough patch here in the Isaac and Rebecca household with their kids, isn't it? Kind of tough. And that all went wrong, like Bennett said, when Jacob was a little tricky and told Esau, I will let you have this stew that's one meal not a billion for the rest of your life. So, yeah, um, yeah. He gave him the birthright. And then as soon as he gave, I think as soon as Jacob gave, well, I then, then, then Isaac gave, him, gave Jacob the birthright. And then Esau woke up finding him gone with the birthright. You're getting into my story now. We're, you're, you're jumping ahead. You're stealing my thunder. You've got to be careful, all right? Awesome. Awesome. It's not my fault. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, guys. Thank you all very much. Well done. So that that little bit of background those guys helped us with, um, that's that's perfect, right? So that's that's the setting. We we get into chapter 27. Um, You know, Matt taught from chapter 26 last week, which kind of zoomed out and gave us a little bit of a different... Um, a story about some of the kind of geopolitical context going on around uh, Isaac and his family at that time. And now chapter 27, we come back in 
right into the family, and we get a whole lot of drama. So um, I was going to have Kelly come up. She's going to read. She's going to start uh, in 26, chapter 26, verse 34, and read to uh, 27.45. So it's a good chunk of Scripture, so follow along, stay with it. Is the mic on? I must have shut it off. Huh? How about now? Hello? All right. Starting in chapter 26, verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. When Isaac was old... And his eyes were dim so that he could not see. He called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food such as I love. And bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them, and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hands of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. 
Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, free, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> when I was a kid... Uh, my grandmother, my dad's mom, religiously, every day, watched Days of Our Lives. That, that was a reserved time during the day, and we all knew that we were out at the pool, 
she was going back in. Just no VCRs, no TiVos, no uh, uh, you know, streaming services, right? If you missed Days of Our Lives on Tuesday, you didn't know what was going on on Wednesday. And it was probably going to take you a couple of weeks before what you missed uh, was no longer important in the storyline. It was, it was serial television at its height. I would see her watching this sometimes and look at it, and it just seemed so weird. It was like an alternate reality uh, of our actual human experience. People seemed somehow kind of cardboard cutouts of actual people, and yet overly dramatic, and the music would come in at weird times, and they'd just kind of stare at each other in these odd moments of, of tension and drama. I think back to that when we, when we read this story here in chapter 27. It's a weird soap opera to us. There's just all kinds of weird things going on. Lots of family drama, lots of flawed people doing strange things that we don't really understand. And, and I think also that as we look forward uh, to the next several chapters, the story here really informs the next several chapters and what Jacob is going to carry forward, because this chapter really represents a transition in the narrative from Isaac, who we've only known a few chapters, really, now to Jacob, who we're going to follow for like about 10 chapters or so. And all of the things that we learn here really start to inform uh, what Jacob does in those following chapters. And so Jacob's life is really marked by this struggle of blessing. How does he understand and deal with this blessing that uh, he has, has received uh, as prophetically from the Lord and through this deception that we're going to talk about today. So, this is very much a soap opera. And yet, this is a real story. These were real people. And the stakes here are actually very, very real, unlike the crazy stuff we see on soap operas. So, I want to attack this chapter, chapter 27, from three different angles to try and understand it. So, three, ang- three angles. Uh, this is a story all about blessing. So we're going to talk about blessing. This is a story about sinners. This family is just full of sin in this story. And finally, this is a story, I think, of hope, and the hope that we have because God is working. So, let's start with the first one. This is a story all about blessing. I didn't really understand blessing the way it's used here, and I suspect that that you probably don't either, unless you've studied this chapter or blessing in, in particular in the Bible before. I think we think of blessing as, you know, some kind words, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless, bless you, or you say, you bless my heart. Or maybe it's the, the blessing before a meal, right, a, a simple prayer. But that doesn't really line up with what we see in this passage. They make a big deal about blessing and about, this, about the idea that the blessing can be stolen or that we run out of blessing. That doesn't really make sense with this kind of idea that we understand a blessing. So, so what are we dealing with here in blessing? I think there's a couple of things. First, in, the, in this Old Testament patriarchal system, the blessing is a 
uh, a management administrative tool of the family as they pass down between generations. So as the, as the patriarchal head of the family, in this case Isaac, as he is nearing death, he needs to pass on that family headship to the next generation. So it's this kind of transfer of ownership, of, of headship, both uh, administrative headship of the family, so management of family matters, the spiritual head of the family, the patriarch would serve over weddings, over funerals. The spiritual head is the, the kinsman redeemer, right? We've talked about that before. If someone dies and there's uh, orphans or widows, it's the kinsman redeemer who makes sure that they're cared for and taken care of. Now, the, the, the blessing, this transfer, from what I've read, what I understand, this would have been a big deal. This is like a momentous occasion, that transfer, that, that um, passing on to the next generation, this relationship. And so this is a, a ceremony, a, a, a celebration that takes place. All, all the family comes. Everybody knows now this person was the patriarch. He was the head of the family. Now this person is. So if I've got problems, I'm going to him. The blessing's different than the birthright, right? In chapter 25, as was talked about, um, there was this sale of the birthright. And the birthright is really about inheritance, right? It's about the transfer of wealth. Who's going to get uh, the wealth? And, and keep in mind here in this story, Abraham was a very wealthy man. We've talked about that. He passed on to Isaac, very wealthy man. So now in, in this story, that stealing of the, uh, of the birthright that was sold for a, a bowl of stew um, from Esau to to Jacob, um, that's a, you know, significant amount of wealth. And so it's not a insubstantial thing, but it's different than this headship of, of the blessing. However, traditionally, both would have been passed to the eldest son. So we see a separation of them, but at the end of the day, by tradition, Esau, as the eldest son, would have received both the blessing and the birthright. So that's one, one aspect of the blessing. A second aspect of the blessing that's unique to this family. Within their line is the messianic seed, right? The connection from Abraham, from the covenant with Abraham, all the way down to the Messiah that is yet to come, that we know is Jesus Christ. And so, if we, if we uh, I think we're going to put this up on the screen. If you look back, right, this begins in uh, Genesis 12, but I'm going to read kind of a re- repeat of the blessing from Genesis 17. Um, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring. So this is God talking to Abraham, setting that this line to the Messiah the everlasting covenant to the Messiah will go through Isaac. So now as Isaac is about to die, part of what he is blessing here is the transfer of that messianic seed to one of his sons. <clears throat> so as we read all of this, what's at stake? What's at stake and what is the main issue of the drama from our point of view is the line from Isaac 
through his son to the Messiah, the line that is the Savior of humanity. So will God's plan for the Messiah detailed uh, be derailed, or, or will his family that is supposed to steward this blessing take care of it? Will God's plan somehow be derailed and fail because of problems in this family? One more aspect to the blessing, and this one, I think, is something we can actually relate to. There's something about conveying words, particularly, I think, from parents to children, that's really important. When we say things to our kids, they hear it. And depending if those words are positive or negative, that could really start to shape their lives in different ways, shape how they see themselves, shape how they view God and the world around them. Do you have any words like that from your parents or, or maybe from someone who was kind of a, a, a father or mother figure in your life that rattle around in your head sometimes? Those are positive words or negative words, and they, they greatly affect us. There's an Old Testament scholar. His name is, uh, I believe it's Walter Brugman. And he said this about this particular passage. This narrative presumes that symbolic actions have real and lasting power. Spoken words, especially from a parent to a child, shape our lives. Words are not a matter of indifference that can be attended to or not as a matter of convenience. So I think there is a connection here for us, you know, particularly for us as parents, but really this could apply to just about any relationship where there's true uh, value between one another. That's Our words have power, and, and with our kids in particular, they have a supernatural power. So I just want to ask parents here this morning, think about the words that you say to your children. Do they, do they encourage and build up your kids? Do they bless? Do they tell them that they are individually and specifically loved, that they are valued, by their parents, but not only by their parents, by the God of the universe who uniquely made them. When you mess up, and we all mess up, we speak in anger, we say something offhanded to our children that is not a blessing, it could hurt them. Are we quick? Are we quick to go to them and correct what we said and ask their forgiveness as appropriate? This is a way that we can really be leading our kids in the, in the words that we say, leading them to Christ, rooting their value and how they see themselves, not chiefly in how their fellow sinner, their parent sees them, but how God sees them and the example that he sets forward for how to reconcile with them. A God who sees them and values them so much that he sent his only son to rescue them. This idea does not appear to have been the case in the household of Isaac and Rebekah. As we talked about from chapter 25, we come into chapter 27, and we've got old, blind Isaac, and the household mood is really informed, I think, from that verse in 
Genesis 25 that we read. 25, 28. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. From all the things that I read and, and looking at this, the but here is doing a lot of work. I think it makes this to be read that Isaac loved Esau to the exclusion of Jacob. Isaac saw and loved something, and Isaac, apparently related to his uh, attributes as a hunter, as a man of the field, and his ability to kill game and serve it the way that Isaac liked it. And Isaac did not love Jacob the same way. And so in chapter 27, we find Jacob desperate for blessing from his father, for encouragement, for care, for value. And the effects of this exclusionary love between father and sons aren't limited just to Jacob. It really extends to the whole family, a whole family of sinners. So we get to our second point. This is a story about sinners, a family of sinners. Now, I don't know if you caught this when we read this, but this family is a mess. It's, uh, you know, normally we, we read one of these stories and you kind of go, okay, so there's the hero, I'm kind of rooting for them, and this is the bad guy over here. There's shades of gray, but there's generally some clear who's, who are we supposed to be rooting for here. I got to tell you, it's hard to find anybody to root for in this story. You know, we kind of know, Matt, in his sermon a couple of weeks ago, he, he referenced uh, in Romans where it talks about Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So we kind of know we're supposed to, supposed to be rooting for Jacob, but man, he's not making it easy. We've got Jacob who is, he's devious, he's cunning, he's an opportunist, and he's very manipulative. We've got Esau, seems to be kind of shallow, temperamental, and impetuous perhaps even a little spoiled or overconfident. And Isaac and Rebecca, they're not looking great either, as we've kind of already talked about. But let, let's run through this narrative. and just, I just want to highlight how this is just a story of sin. There's really almost nothing good going, going well here in chapter 27. So we started reading at the end of chapter 26. Esau takes two, not one, but two Hittite wives. This choice really shows that he has no care for the idea of the blessing and the birthright. This was not the way that God had instructed this family to uh, care about their line, intermarrying with the Hittite uh, women, taking multiple wives. This really shows a complete lack of concern and preference really to satisfy his carnal desires over what the Lord has for him. Then we turn uh, in the story, we've got Isaac, now old and blind, ignoring the prophecy that was given to Rebekah when the children were in her womb. And he's attempting, it appears here, to stealthily arrange to pass the blessing to Esau, no ceremony, quickly, quietly, we don't want Rebekah finding out about this, we don't need uh, Jacob uh, involved here, and you know, maybe, maybe God doesn't need to see this either. We've got Rebecca eavesdropping on the conversation. It's not great. Hatches a plan to deceive her husband and then recruits uh, Jacob to 
uh, really execute the plan. She prepares all of the props that are necessary and then sends Jacob in. And Jacob, lest you think he was, you know, just kind of following his mom's, mom's advice here, he really uh, lays out no objection and instead says, oh, wait, you know, he might realize that it's me. What are we going to do about the whole I'm smooth and uh, Esau's hairy problem here? And so we get this, again, uh, kind of almost soap opera-ish thing where we cover ourselves in goat skin, which I don't know what that says about Esau, that the way to fool somebody is to cover yourself in goat skin. That's, that's, a, that's a tough look right there. Jacob dresses up, deceives his father both in smell and feel because of the goat skin. And then I just want to highlight his lying, lying to his, his father. He lies four times. Verse 19, claims to be Esau. Verse 19 again, claims to have made the food from the game he hunted as was requested. Verse 20, this is kind of the worst. He uses the Lord as an accomplice to his lie. Look at verse 20. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And Jacob answers, because the Lord your God granted me success. He uses God as his accomplice in his lie. And then in verse 24, once again, claims to be Esau. Isaac, apparently, very suspicious of this whole thing, he, he says over and over again, you feel like Esau, you smell like Esau, but you don't really sound like Esau. Perhaps he's... Uh aware that what he is doing is, or I think he is very much aware of what he is doing is in transferring this blessing, attempting to transfer this blessing to Esau, is against what the Lord has said, and thus he wants to triple check that this is really Esau. No, no doubts here. I don't want to make a mistake. He wants to make sure that his attempts to thwart God's plan are going to be successful. And then in the final, final act of checking in verse 26, he has, he says, uh, then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he, he being uh, Jacob, pretending to be Esau, came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. So apparently, uh, now completely satisfied, uh, he pronounces the blessing. And just, just in case you were unclear, look at verse 29 real closely. This is kind of the second half of the blessing. The first half of the blessing is really about prosperity for, for his son, and that he gives him all that he has. And then the second part is the most uh, heretical part of this whole exchange. Verse 29. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. That first part is exactly the contradiction to what the prophecy had said. The prophecy said that the, young, the older would serve the younger, that Esau would serve Jacob. And, and Isaac here is attempting to bless Esau and telling him, 
that Jacob would serve him. He is directly contradicting the blessing. And then he gives the blessing, a, 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 a reiteration of the blessing that I, uh, Abraham had received from the Lord. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Back from chapter 12, verse 3. Isaac is clearly letting his preference, his love of Esau over Jacob, lead him astray from God's word. So, predictably, this plan is not very well thought out, I have to say. Predictably, Esau returns, and uh, the deception is very quickly figured out, and uh, the fallout begins. In case you thought for a moment that perhaps, well, perhaps Isaac didn't know about the prophecy. Maybe that's what's going on here. And so he's just following tradition. Look at verse 33. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and i ate all before you came in and i have blessed him he trembles violently knowing that his attempts to thwart the lord have in fact been thwarted by the lord the lord's plan is going forward despite isaac's attempt to deceive him and the very end there i think he fully realizes what has happened. At the end of verse 33, and I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him and then that ends with a question mark and then he states, yes, and he shall be blessed. Recognizing that the Lord, the Lord's plan has actually gone through and Jacob is now the blessed son just as was prophesied. And then we come to what I really think is just the most heartbreaking part of this. Esau, who has his whole life known favor from his father. He's been the chosen child in his father's eye. He now realizes that he has lost not only his birthright, but the blessing of his father. And he cries out over and over again in desperation, bless me. Even me also, O oh my, oh my Father. Have you not reserved some blessing for me? Have you but one blessing, my Father? Bless me, even also me, O oh my Father. Verse 38, And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And in response, Isaac can only offer what really is a curse more than a blessing. Verse 39, then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword shall you live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. The prosperity that we saw in the blessing to Jacob is reversed, and away from prosperity, from the fatness of the earth, will Esau live. And he will serve his brother, and he will live by the sword, and he will be constrained by a yoke that eventually he will break, which is a, a whole nother thing I'm not going to try and cover this morning. 
This is a, this is a tragic, tragic story. And as I said earlier, the, the core drama that we have here is what's going to happen to the messianic seed. What happened to it here? Is it intact? Is it not intact? I think the really important thing to note here in chapter 27 is the complete and total absence of the Lord. In chapter 25 and chapter 26, the Lord is mentioned. He's present. You'll recall that Rebecca went to the Lord when she was pregnant, and that's when the prophecy happened. Here, no one is seeking the Lord. No one is looking for guidance. No one is submitting to the Lord's will. They're all doing whatever they believe is right, believing that God's promise depends on their actions or that they are in control of it or that their wisdom is greater than what the Lord has told them. So what is the result of sin and the Lord's absence, of lying and deception, the substitution of human effort and will for the will of God? the preference of human desire and judgment over God's sovereign plan, I would tell you that this family is completely destroyed at the end of chapter 27. The relationship between Isaac and both of his sons is marred, broken. Do you think Jacob receiving that blessing, knowing that it was actually for Esau, do you think he felt the love from his father? Jacob, at the end of this chapter and into the next chapter, which we'll get to next week, he's sent away for what ends up being 20 years to escape murder from his brother, who is now consumed with thoughts of murder. That's where he finds his comfort, is in thoughts of murdering his brother. And his mother, who we read in 25, loved him, will never see him alive again. He goes away for 20 years, and she dies while he's gone. What about the relationship between Rebecca and Isaac? How do you think that's going? It's hard for me to imagine that the trust between husband and wife is not terribly, terribly damaged. This family is left in ruins by the events of this chapter. Church, this is what a family, what a marriage devoid of the Lord's presence looks like. The purpose that God designed in the family and designed in marriage was for his will, his purposes to be at the center. The purpose of marriage for the family is to glorify God, bring him praises, and make his name famous. When the family is devoid of the Lord, Brokenness, destruction occur. Is the Lord at the center of your marriage? Is he at the center of your family? Not window dressing, not appearances. Show up on Sunday morning, everyone's dressed to the nines, looking good. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about is the Lord at the center of the decisions that you make as a family, at the center of the conversations that you have with your children and with each other? Does he drive what is on your calendar? Does the Lord set the priorities and goals for your family?
not as a way to earn God's favor, and not with complete perfection. God knows we are sinners, but this is the purpose of a family and of marriage. So consider this week, where are other priorities or goals, perhaps intruding in on God's priorities in your family? Where might some adjustments need to be made? Just also consider in this story, right? Imagine a righteous version of this story where God's presence is at the center of this family. What would that look like? Instead of favoritism of one kid over another and this deception to try and uh, make Esau the, the, um, the chosen child and the, the receiver of the blessing, what if Rebecca and Isaac had talked with their kids from the very beginning about God's promises to them, the special, uh, unique circumstances that their family has, and the prophecy that they had received that Jacob was to be the chosen one? What if that was part of their of the mood, of the of organic to their family? How much strife and all of this lying would that have avoided? What would the relationship between all of these different people look like differently if God's priorities were at the center? You come to the end of this story, and I, I couldn't help but think about the end, or uh, Genesis 6, 5, uh, right before the flood and the story of Noah begins. And it says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. Even God's chosen family here is full of wickedness and evil. I guess that whole post-flood reboot didn't, didn't really work. Maybe it's, maybe it's time for another creation reboot. We'll just start over again, try it a different way. But that's not God's plan. He's not rebooting. He has a different plan. So we come to our last point here. This is a story of hope. You see, God's plan doesn't depend on the performance of this family. So that drama that we thought we had that was at the center tension of this story of is the messianic line going to be interrupted? What's going to happen? That wasn't actually at stake. Because despite not being mentioned behind the scenes, God was working the whole time and had secured the plan for how we were going to get from Isaac to Jesus, how that blessing was going to be transferred. So who's the hero in this story? It's really hard to find one. It's because he's not mentioned very much. It's God. The hope in this story is that God, although working behind the scenes and not really mentioned, is executing his plan anyway. The line of the Messiah was never dependent on Isaac or Jacob. God didn't need Rebekah's scheme to try and keep it in line. God had secured it, and he was sovereign over it the whole, whole time. There's another aspect of hope in this story. It's that God, although not dependent, still chooses to use sinners in his plan. God chooses to use this family as messed up as it was to continue that messianic seed, to continue the line. God's not surprised or hampered by the sin 
that the family chooses to do, he chooses to use the sinners in his plan anyway. And the family, all of their attempts to oppose, deceive, dress up and follow the ways of the world, they don't, they don't stop his plan at all. I find this brings a lot of hope to me. I mess up all the time, and yet God can still use me. And I see in this story the fact that God uses a messed up family and messed up people for his purposes. He can use me too. Even when I dress up and try and look for blessing in the wrong places, he still can use me. And we do that, don't we? Don't we dress up and go looking for, for blessing elsewhere? Maybe success at work or, or with our kids? Or presenting that pristine view that we have everything together so that no one would question that there's anything wrong? We're looking for that, for that satisfaction of that firstborn status that Esau and Jacob desired. And the final point of hope here is that God's not impressed by anything that we do, how we're dressing up. He's not deceived in any way. Because our blessing comes through Christ from the Lord. You see, in Christ, we share in the blessing of the firstborn. Up on the screen, we're going to put Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Christ is the firstborn, but we are his brothers. We are made like him, and in that, we can find peace and satisfaction. Through Christ, we're blessed. Ephesians 1. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ and every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Church, we are part of that line of blessing. That line of blessing that flew, flowed from Abraham through Isaac down and eventually to Christ. Christ shares that blessing with us. So despite how messed up our families might be, the way we might dress up or distort things, he has promised to bless us and he has secured that blessing. So church, this morning, do you have this hope? Do you believe that no matter what your household looks like, God is sovereign and has secured this blessing for you? Do you believe that you are bestowed through Christ every spiritual blessing? Do you believe that Jesus made you, knows you, intimately, knows your fears and your doubts, and loves you still? And do you believe that he is at work through you?
in your home, with your children, at work, that he can use you to make himself famous. See, God was sovereign in his work here in the story of Isaac, Jacob, Esau, and Rebekah. And he is the same God still sovereignly working today in our families and in each one of us. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to see that our hope is not in ourselves, Lord. Our hope is not in our ability to dress up or, or uh, put on a show or uh, act or perform perfectly, Lord. But our hope is in you and in you alone. And through you that you have blessed each one of us and you have fully and totally secured that blessing. It cannot be lost. Lord, we cannot mess it up. Lord, I ask that you would work through each of us, Lord, that we would be able to play the part that you have for us in making your name famous, Lord. That you would help each of us as parents and as children and as members of a family, Lord, to be building one another up, Lord, that we would be blessing one another and that our goals and our objectives, our priorities in our family, Lord, they would be to follow you and that our, our, our hearts would be drawn to you, Lord, and not to any desires of the things of this world, Lord, but to what you prioritize, Lord, what, what is good in your eyes. So I, I pray for each of my brothers and sisters here this morning, Lord. I pray for our children, whether they're in this room or in the back, Lord, that they would feel the blessing of the Lord on them this morning. Lord, and know that that is a blessing that was secured by your Son on the cross for them, for each one of us, specifically and individually. Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know that blessing, Lord, who doesn't know you, who would not call Christ their Savior, Lord, I pray that you would do a work in their heart today, whether it's a child in the back or an adult in this room, Lord. I just pray that you would give them that irresistible call, Lord, to know you as their one and only Savior. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.